It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by Pulitzer Prize winning historian and number one New York Times bestselling author, John Meacham. John, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on your new podcast series. Thank you. Thank you. I wish we didn't have to do it. Uh, <laughs> wish, uh, Me too. I wish, I wish half is, the country this is what I want to, want to, lost touch with reality, but I, we'll do it. I want to ask everybody, like, what do you wish you could be talking about instead of having to talk about this stuff? Like, what do you wish your podcast series was about, oh, if not Lord. disinformation? Great. Yeah, no, it, it's a fabulous question. Of course, that's, you know, We've been having to have these conversations since the first chapter of Genesis, right? So, uh, so the world has never <laughs> quite been what we want it to be. Uh, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not okay, that's helpful. Unrealistic. <laughs> so one of the things so, that so I take us through. Fate oh yeah, of fact. go ahead. Just... Oh no, just just take us through fate of fact. Like what what it's a limited run podcast series. Like what are we going to learn? What what um you know, what challenges does it hope to help us overcome? Well, it's my theory of the case. So uh it is it is a uh historically based but for me deeply felt uh view of why so many conservative Americans uh have chosen to live in a reality of their own construction, not the reality that the rest of us encounter. And when, when a major party, uh, a party that founded uh, in the 1850s uh, out of anti-slavery impulses, uh, a party that uh, has been more prone to isolationism, uh, but which uh, produced Dwight Eisenhower, you know, produced uh, some remarkable people. When that party consigns itself to conspiracy and fantasy, self-serving fantasy, I should say, uh, and just decides that they are going to invent the world that they see as opposed to experience the world that they see and then try to bend that world, right? I mean, that's what we do. Uh, at our best is we experience reality, we find it, and then we think, all right, I would like the world to look like this, so what can I do to get from A to B? Instead of doing that, uh, so many on the right in America have encountered the world as it is and said, nah, I'm going to make up another one. Uh, and so how did that happen? And part of my theory is that and this is less about the, the way, way out people, but more about the people who five years ago we would have said wouldn't go way, way out. Right. They're the, the Bush Republicans, the, the, the Reagan Republicans who have, in fact, now signed on for this flight from fact. Uh, so what happened? And part of my theory is that it's a long term drama goes back to the end of the Second World War when conservatives, 
believed that FDR had betrayed them at Yalta, uh, believed that uh, this man who kept them out of power for 20 years, um, imagine that, right? 1933 to 1953, Democrats controlled the White House. And then they finally elect they finally elect Dwight Eisenhower. And what does Eisenhower do? Well, he appoints Earl Warren to be chief justice of the United States. Uh, he says that any party that tried to undo Social Security, which was the bet noir of the of the time, would be uh, condemning itself to political suicide. He functionally governed from the center right, as did Richard Nixon as did Gerald Ford, as did Ronald Reagan, as did George H.W. Bush, and as did, honestly, George W. Bush. N- none of those guys really tried to pass a pro-life amendment to the Constitution. None of them really tried to put prayer back in schools, right? And so I think a lot of people felt that they'd been had from year, from year to year to year. So when they had an option uh, – to really just say, if we can't make the world like what we want it to be, we're just going to pretend it is what we want it to be, they went for it. Mm-hmm. So wow. one of the things I I always want to know, though, is that if the people that are sort of at the top of this, I, I guess it's like an information pyramid, <laughs> like the people that are in power and that are, you know, per- perpetuating the lies... Um, because they see it, I guess, as an, a, a good, like, it's helpful to them to perpetuate these lies. Um, do they believe the lies or are they, do they in secret know that they are spreading disinformation? I mean, that's the piece that I, because during the Trump era, it's been confusing to figure that out for, um, for me. Fantastic question. <laughs> and I suspect there's not a universal answer. I know enough of the folks who say they believe uh, the stuff that's just crazy, right? Uh, let's just let's just use the stolen election, right? Let's just that that's that's a pretty uh, straightforward one. I know people, uh, as do you, uh, who say they believe it, but I really don't think they do. What they what they're doing is they're acting in what I think of as, as a, the incentivized political realm where people who hold power have to operate. I'm not mm-hmm. denouncing them for being political creatures, uh, but they have no incentive. If you're a member of the House Republican Caucus, by and large, first of all, God help you, but secondly, <laughs> uh, uh, the, you, you, you dwell in a world where – if your rational political goal is not a noble Margaret Chase Smith-like profiling courage stand, which there's a reason, uh, as the old joke has it, there's a reason profiles and courage is only one volume, and it wasn't very long. Uh, <laughs> then, then you've got this, uh, you've got your incentive, which is to be reelected, and if your one of the things I do think folks who aren't in politics or around them pretty closely uh, miss sometimes is just the sheer power of your day-to-day culture, right? So if you're if you mm-hmm. if you go to a conference meeting, if you're reading all the emails, if you're 
you know, if you're surrounded by people who have decided that the 2020 election was stolen, that Donald Trump is a, you know, a fantastic figure, and that's what you hear, then you begin to take on the that as as your reality. And, you know, do I think Kevin McCarthy believes that? I, I honestly don't know. That's probably a pretty open question. I know Mitch McConnell doesn't. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but right. but I would bet I'd bet a lot of money that he is enduring this era uh, as opposed to engaging with it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about McCarthy, um, but I, I have you know uh, guys who now seem like. Uh, you know, these ancient like Ward Cleaver like figures in the Republican Party who 10 years ago were seen as these sort of right wing guys who now look like, you know, they could have a statue at Brookings. Right. I know. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, my, 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 you know, Lamar Alexander. It's a good example. You know, they're just people who, you know, were were. Because the center of gravity's moves, and so well, the question I've been trying to answer is, well, why has the center of gravity moved, and why is it? I mean, you, you know why extremists do what they do because they're extremists, right? I mean, they're it's a little more complicated, but not really. But what is it about? And this is this is the question about the, the, the durability of American democracy. Absolutely serious for Monday morning at this hour. Um, which is <laughs> what was it about the Jeb Bush people, the Rubio people, uh, to some extent the Kasich people, the folks who did not vote? And that was like, what, 70 percent, 65 percent of Republican primary voters early on? Right. Trump was not getting above mm-hmm. 50. Right. So what was it about those folks? who came over and became foot soldiers and enablers of the most illiberal and anti-democratic movement in American politics since the Civil War. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. Are there any answers the that you I, found I, I so have far? A... <laughs> yeah, Is there I, like yeah, maybe I a start of a list? <laughs> I, think I, think, I think there's frustration. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I think there's frustration. I think that there's, um, you know, never underestimate economic self-interest mm-hmm. and race and identity uh, are absolutely uh, fundamental to this drama. Uh, you know, the, the 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 insight of the "Make America Great Again" formulation was what it really meant was make America like 1953 again, which if you right, look for like a certain me, subset of people, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, me, I'm the subset, right? I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a white male. I, I didn't want to say it. No, no, I'm, I'm happy to. I'm a white male, boringly heterosexual Southern Episcopalian. Things tend to work out for me in this country. Uh, so, that appeal was to folks like me. And I can, you know, look, you know, as, as you all know better than I do, you know, the guy won the presidency with it. Uh, mm-hmm. And 
I would have a very different – I'm fundamentally optimistic that the country as it is becoming will in fact uh, – for this generation, for this period, w- will in fact resist authoritarianism. And I, I, I'm actually quite, quite confident about that. But it, it, there's nothing foreordained about it. And so one of the reasons I wanted to do this, honestly, was to try to say, let's figure out why this happened on the others, on on the Republican side, because you can't have you cannot have a constitutional democracy as we have practiced it without a functioning other party that is grounded in reality as opposed to conspiracy. Because then everything becomes, so, every day, every hour, becomes this fraught Armageddon. And because they don't have to have ideas, mm-hmm. constructive ideas, to right. bring to the debate, then they can be a purely emotional, a source of emotional disturbance. Whereas the Democratic Party, and by the right. way, the Democratic Party could go crazy too, right? They, it could happen by this afternoon. It hasn't happened. Uh, it's why I resist the the both sidesism. Like, well, yeah, but on the left, they're you know they, they have their own. I said, no, they actually don't have their own reality. You can disagree it's with true. their interpretation of that reality, but in point of fact, you know what? They're arguing from a you know. If you look around and you see the world, and which is what the left is doing right now, and you say, well, this is what we want to do to fix it, that's called politics. What's not politics <laughs> right. <laughs> is to look around and say, you know what, I, no, I don't, I don't think that number means that. You know, so anyway. Right. As a historian, do you, do you see any connection between because it's happening on the right, but not on the left. We are also in a moment where we are sort of reckoning with our own American history, our own understanding of American history and the sort of magical thinking, let's call it, that we have been engaged in as we talk about, you know, pilgrims built America, like all of the stuff that we teach ourselves, that we teach kids about America, that is not necessarily true. Um, Do you see a link between that sort of American exceptionalism style of history and the current alternate reality that that half of our political system seems to live in? Sure, they're 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 running themes. Um, you know, my, my view of the uh, arguments over the teaching of American history and 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 the the, the shape of those narratives is that. We are a country that is the product of 1619 and of 1776 Mm -hmm. and of 1787 Mm -hmm. and of 1861 and 1865 and 1933 and 1945. I wish that, and this is a total wish, I wish that the people who have been engaged in telling and teaching uh, the history of the country would spend less time attacking each other and more time trying to uh, 
encourage the teaching, the transmission uh, of a of a history that is complicated and tragic and fallen. Uh, but I happen to believe uh, that we are at our best devoted to a more perfect union. Uh, we have the capacity for amendment and change. Uh, don't believe me, believe Frederick Douglass, uh, mm-hmm. who said there's no soil better adapted to the growth of reform than American soil. You know, in a lot of ways, this is a, uh, and this is the danger of having me around is a lot of sentences begin in a lot of ways. This is like 1854, but I'm really exciting that way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, you can come I'm to any cocktail party of mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least I'm self-aware. Uh, which is in 1854-55, William Lloyd Garrison, the great abolitionist, burned a copy of the Constitution, said it was a pact with the devil, and it it, it was just – it was inherently evil. Frederick Douglass said no. In the Constitution lies the means of our liberation, and to some extent – the most ferocious elements of of this battle over the American past, which, of course, to go to your question, of course, is about the American present. Uh, You know, as you say, it's sort of pilgrims versus enslaved people, right? I mean, it's it's kind of where do you put your emphasis? Um, My view is that good teachers and a good country, a mature country, can talk about both. Uh, because guess what? That's what happened, mm-hmm. right? So to, just to tie this up quickly, so in 1619, uh, the white lion arrives with the first enslaved uh, Africans. In the same three, four, five, six-week period that Jamestown held its first representative assembly in the Jamestown colony. So there it was, right? Uh, there, there was, you know, an impulse toward individual rights and democracy if you looked a certain way, and the reality of of enslavement. And there's the tension. Uh, and the question has to be: if you're going to take down the entire union, if you believe the Constitution is not a redeem a document that allows for redemption and progress, then you have to answer the question out of intellectual fairness: well, what would? Mm-hmm. Right. And so right. I um, it's rich and, and complicated and important. Um, and, you know, I, I I'm lucky I, I teach at Vanderbilt. And um, I, the, the moment that made me feel sort of suffused with confidence about about the, the power of reason a couple of years ago was. I had a class that kind of I was making a fairly casual point, I thought, about how the Declaration of Independence and its insight about uh, individual liberty, individual agency, was enlightenment here a principle. And there was a kind of there was kind of a rebellion in the class. They said, no, we don't believe that that's an enlightenment era because it wasn't fully realized, etc. And I said, wow, OK. So I actually asked them to go read the Frederick Douglass uh stuff from the 1850s that sort of laid out his his remarkable view of the country. And then about two weeks later, I was being tough on, I think, Thomas Jefferson about some hypocrisy and 
buying Louisiana, but being against central government. And they said they wrote they sort of said, no, 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 don't you understand? Politics is about being practical. And I thought, you know what? My work is done. All right. Uh, you know, <laughs> they, they get it right. Uh, I tell that story because what what it genuinely showed me was that if we can get people to engage with the original key, I don't want to sound like Scalia here, but give them the history, give them the documents and be a little patient. You know, I mean, history's not, despite how I spend mm-hmm. my life, you know, history's not really about uh, brief television uh, conversations, right? As James Baldwin said, history is not merely something we read. It is present in all that we do. Uh, and so it's incredibly important. President Biden's view of this is incredibly important. Our individual view of this is incredibly important because citizenship itself is this perpetual performance. And if we've learned anything in the last five years, we've learned that citizenship is not a seasonal undertaking. Hmm. That's real. Right. I no, it's, and, and it's, it's something that we have to be engaged with all the time. And that involves educating ourselves about the facts and realities of our country, which is why everybody needs to check out your new podcast series, Fate of Fact. It is on Cadence 13, along with a lot of really fantastic content. John Meacham, thank you so much for joining us and making us smarter this morning. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> you all deserve merit badges for listening to me at this length. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love this. I'll this send you. Is, yes, send you this is this is a morning it. show. Yeah, I'm more exactly. awake. Thank you, I John. Please quote, stay safe. I, I don't think I've quoted Richard Hofstetter yet, but uh, <laughs> I'll wait till nine. That's so good. Okay, come oh, back next okay. time, and we can get into it. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening. 